Hello, and welcome to the New Age of Risk Analytics podcast. Today we speak on credit risk modeling and decisioning with Ivy Tan, EY Senior Manager specializing in IFRS 9 and credit risk for the financial services sector, and Vikas Deep Sharma, an associate partner at EY also. I'd like to welcome you both to the New Age of Risk Analytics podcast. Um, I'd like to just ask you both for some background on your current roles and responsibilities and how it relates to our topic today. Let's start with Ivy Tan, EY Senior Manager, specializing in IFRS 9 and credit risk for the financial services sector. Can you tell us a little bit about your current role and responsibilities? Sure. Thanks, Elisa, for inviting me to this podcast. I am a credit risk specialist based in Ernst & Young Singapore office. My role is primarily to assist the EY assurance team in credit risk-related audit and advisory work for the banking clients, hence my uh, title, which sounds quite a mouthful. Thank you. And now, Vikas, an associate partner at EY, um, who we are pleased to note as a certified FRM. Vikas, can you tell us about your current roles and responsibilities? Thank you, Lisa, for your time and welcoming me here. I lead risk data analytics and uh, reporting solutions for uh, financial risk advisory practice in EY Singapore. Now, through the years, I have advised financial institutions on credit risk, primarily covering credit risk modeling and credit risk process. I also cover other financial risk topics, such as market risk, liquidity risk, and operational risk. More recently, though, in line with how our client needs are evolving, my focus has moved to data governance, regulatory reporting, and now more recently use of AI and machine learning in risk and compliance. Well, I'm sure that's a fascinating trajectory. And, you know, we certainly have, you know, GARP has obviously a broad base in both the financial and energy sector of risk practitioners who work in various arenas, both market risk and operational risk and enterprise. From your perspective and your expertise, I'll start with Vikas. Can you give us an overview of credit risk modeling and its understanding of the risk profile of a firm? Credit risk modeling is, uh, in simple terms, translating the demographic and financial data of of a customer to a creditworthiness metric. This aids in credit decisioning and portfolio management, leading to the desired risk profile of of, a firm's portfolio. The metric can be used by relationship managers to propose the right transactions by credit officers in assessing creditworthiness of the borrowers and then making approval choices and then by portfolio managers in recommending the right mix of sectors, geographies, customers, and products. That's very interesting. Uh, Ivy, do you have anything to add to that? Well, for my banking clients, credit risk modeling to them is just a, an article tool that they use, basically just to organize data in a statistically meaningful way so that it helps them in making better credit decisions. Absolutely. Because you mentioned, you know, machine learning and and AI, and we're hearing from so many risk practitioners that the landscape is changing substantially at the moment as a result of technology, also regulation and other issues. But let's start with technology. Are you you finding that your role and responsibilities are, are really shifting because of this new technology? Yes, certainly. I think changes in the technology are bringing innovation to every aspect of credit origination and management. Today, In today's world, technology is creating new channels for us to reach the customers, enriching the data sets, 
while from process point of view, a number of our clients are now focusing on automating and digitizing their legacy credit process. Today, we have access to alternative data sources if you want to build scorecards for the unbanked population. At the same time, we're also pursuing more updated credit modeling techniques, although I have to admit that there are problems with explaining the outcomes and relating those outcomes to the inputs. But I also firmly believe that this is just the beginning of the change. I, I think that's certainly the case. Ivy, do you want to talk a little bit about um, some of the, the regulation changes that are, that are occurring? That are uh, Has your job shifted in the, in the past few years because of things like IFRS 9 and, and CECL compliance? Yes, certainly. Uh, IFRS 9 has been impacting the financial institution quite a fair bit. From what I'm seeing, the biggest challenge of IFRS 9 is it requires cross-functional team to work together because it's no longer a silo function where credit does their own thing, finance does their own thing, operation does their own thing. IFRS 9 actually calls for the integration and the cooperation of these various teams. You need your finance guys to work with your credit guys, to work with your ops guys. So that, in fact, is a bit of a challenge that a lot of my banking clients are trying to work through and trying to get all this team to align uh, over a long period of time. So we can certainly see that uh, regulatory and accounting changes sometimes does affect how a organization thinks about ways about new ways of doing things. Yeah, and I actually have a, a, a question along those lines. I, you know, I think the, the the nature and profile of teams are are changing, and their sort of skill sets are changing. What are you finding about as these regulations are implemented? Um, what are you finding are the biggest challenges in getting? teams to communicate and and sort of break down those silos. Well, from from and do you have any advice along my... those lines from your wisdom? <laughs> <laughs> okay, not 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 so sure about advice, but more of like from what I'm seeing from uh the big mesh MNCs banking clients that I have, a lot of time to encourage communication across team. They have to promote uh, agility. And they have to promote what they call cross-functional team. So the way a team is set up traditionally where basically you have, that's a finance person reporting into a finance person, probably doesn't quite work in this new era where you need uh, communication and cooperation across different functions. So what I'm seeing now is more of like setting up teams in line of projects or like for a particular task, like for reporting. And then you pull different people from IT, from the risk guys, from finance, and everybody just get together in a team where everybody is a specialist, but yet at the same time working towards a common goal and report to maybe a senior manager who is like overseeing the entire project. So, so the traditional way of we looking at function, looking at team is actually changing in this age. And also with digitalization, a lot of automation tools is being used. So it helps in working in this kind of cross-functional team where everyone works on different things, but basically trying to achieve the same objectives. Are you finding that as well? Are you seeing those changes as well, Vikas? So I think when we talk about IFRS 9 or any, any big transformational regulatory changes, uh, to operationalizing these kind of processes, you need to maintain a minimum bench strength. And I think the teams that you have trained for such processes or running such processes, the same teams could then be also leveraged to run other credit models uh, other reporting processes. Now, I could give an example. If you have invested in the infrastructure and you have uh, these, this infrastructure ready to provide the right data in the right form, 
the same data then can be used for internal risk reporting and the teams that have been working on IFRS 9 could also be then leveraged to report internally to risk committees. That makes terrific sense. I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit more about you know, data integrity and integration of systems. You know, we've talked about how the teams, and I do think that there's some adaptation, but, you know, in automating these processes, you really have to worry about the data integrity. What are you finding are the biggest areas of focus when you're addressing those kinds of issues and ramping up with these new technologies and, and complying with these new implementations of regulation? Now, data integrity is certainly critical to ensuring that you have the right data in the right form, and accuracy and the completeness of the data cannot be ensured if you do not choose the right data sources with adequate controls. Certainly when you automate and you centralize the process, you have to think about the data governance around those processes to ensure that you have these controls in place and then the data that you are using for any measurement methods or reporting has met the standards that you have met, uh, for, that you have set for yourself. So essentially, that's the uh, biggest concern that I would say that industry would have. Do you agree with that from your perspective, Ivy? Yes, I I, I agree that data integrity is um, critical, in fact, for my banking clients being the regulated entities that they are. A lot of times, um, they place a lot of emphasis on governance because they need to be able to trust the results that's generated from all these models that they use. And most importantly, for, for the financial institution, they need to use these results to do financial reporting, to do regulatory import, uh, reporting. So they need to be sure that the result they are using is something that they can trust and they believe in. Do you have anything in particular that you think is, is, is really critical for our listeners to know about data integrity in this work and, and how you approach governance? With regard to that element, you know, are you, are you finding that there are certain techniques in looking at governance that are particularly helpful or are there areas which you, you, you feel like people uh, need to really keep a, a bigger focus on? Now, if, if you take an example, small errors in the data sets quite, could be easily fixed when you're using these data sets for credit modeling. But if you have larger data sets, larger gaps in the data sets, they, they could be very material. And in such a case, you almost always have to go to the sources to obtain raw information, which could be very time-consuming, and then it will tie up your resources. Now, in such a case, the only option left would be then to drop the entire uh, records of information or drop the attributes uh, or the columns from your data sets. And the data set then you produce may not be representative of the population, and hence any models that are built on these data sets may not lead to accurate decisions. Now, governance, uh, regulations such as BCBS 239 have brought about an awareness of what controls should be in place, what processes the bank should follow. And the, most of the people as working on, on these processes have now started to think about if we, for example, source information from certain uh, systems, then how do we address completeness and accuracy? And then when we transform this data or aggregate this data for, let's say, reporting purposes beyond credit risk decisioning and credit risk modeling, then how do we ensure that the data that is landing in your reports uh, is accurate and complete? So there's this awareness 
uh, around this, and most of the people now understand what needs to be done to ensure that the data is, remains complete and, and accurate throughout the reporting process. Ivy, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? I agree with uh, because in terms of data governance, it's about creating awareness. And I think financial institutions are starting to realize it's not about just putting together a framework and asking people to follow the rules, but more of like creating awareness throughout the entire organization for people to be aware that whatever data that you key in or you use is actually critical. You need to be comfortable. You need to be able to trust it so that at the end of the day, when the results come out, everybody can use it. So, yeah, I totally agree with uh, Vikas. Indeed. And I, you know, I think that probably changes the structure of, of teams and jobs. I think you have to institute checks and balances to make sure that, you know, before you get to the automated stage, you want to make sure that you have a, a lot of checks and balances to make sure that that data integrity is good. But what we're hearing from a lot of people about new technologies and with having to put the infrastructure in place to live up to these regulations, that some of the processes that were a little more manual before are, are being automated and therefore people are beginning to, to work a little more strategically because some of the tedious elements of their jobs are now automated. Are you finding that as well or are you finding that in working with the data, getting it ramped up to an automated stage is, is really uh, consuming of resources? So I can take that. So most of the sure. clients that we, we work with here in, in Singapore and across uh, ASEAN, uh, a number of large banks have institutionalized, centralized data governance process that kind of ensures that the data you are feeding into any automated process is, is fit for purpose. Uh, essentially, the processes ensure that the controls around accuracy and completeness are, are implemented and then and tested regularly for their uh, for their operating effectiveness. And as this data feeds into the automated process, there's a certain level of standards that are being followed as part of that process and are being checked uh, to ensure that the automated process doesn't fail. At the same time, when you automate any process and particular reporting process, the, the, there could be controls or checks and balances or verification processes or reconciliation processes that could be built as part of automation that would provide a continuous check against the standards that the, the banks have set uh, as, as part of automation. With these processes in place and with automation, I mean, what do you think is most exciting about the new technology and what do you think are the best opportunities that are being created by it? So, I think if you look at the, if you look at how BCBS two three nine, for example, has provided this level of awareness around uh, accuracy and completeness of the reporting processes, and whether this data set is used for creditors modeling or any other purposes, the set of standards and principles are about the same. You could potentially apply the same principles to how the data sets are being produced for your models versus how these data sets are being consumed in your financial reporting or regulatory reporting or even internal risk reporting processes. So there's, there's, this provides an excellent opportunity to financial institutions then to establish a common set of principles and then translate them to a common set of standards that are applicable to a wider range of functions within the institution. 
I think that's a really great point. And, and I think Ivy, let me see if you, I mean, one of the things that I, when I talk to people about any kind of regulation or standard, is there really opportunities for people to do their jobs better and more completely and, you know, with, with greater cognizance of the impact. Are you mm-hmm. finding that, you know, in implementing things like IFRS 9 and, and BCBS 29, that these, are, that these are really helping your organization function optimally? Okay. In a way, yes, because when there's regulatory changes and when there's guidelines that is given by um, some authority, a lot of time it forces the people doing the job to re-examine what they're doing. In a big organization like a bank, there are always a lot of processes, there's always a lot of procedures that sometimes it becomes routine and everyone just basically does it step by step, day in and day out. So with all this implementation of new rules or new regulations, like for instance, IFRS 9, Traditionally, when we talk about accounting standards, we always think that the finance guys are the one they'll be doing it and they'll be passing the entries and everybody else was like, you know, totally clueless as long as the accounting entries gets passed. But with IFRS 9, what happens is it just forces the um, various departments like the credit people needs to get involved because they need to start talking about staging, provisioning, and then the finance guys suddenly realize that, hey, it's not just about passing accounting entries. They need to know about the criteria. They need to know about the definition. So it actually not just forces people to think differently. It actually equips people with additional knowledge and creates more awareness. So at end of the day, everyone is wiser, so to speak, and they're able to do their job better. That's, that's, my, that's my view. And do you have anything to add on that, Vikas? Yeah, I think... Uh, these regulations definitely, for, I think, as, as I mentioned before, um, financial institutions have to maintain a certain bench strength to to run these processes. And as Ivy mentioned, that it impacts a broader set of functions within the firm. So if you train your people with the right skills and expertise, it helps uh, leveraging the same team to run uh, the processes, whether it's for IFRS reporting or measurement or whether it's for CCAR measurement and reporting, there's a, there's a certain commonality across these standards. And I believe that the same uh, skill set can be leveraged across them. So I think it also provides an opportunity to people uh, to upskill themselves, learn these new uh, governance standards, including uh, new technologies and new methodologies for credit risk modeling and decision making. I think this is this is an excellent opportunity today that these regulatory changes as well as technology changes present to the people in general. Uh, and you've you've answered one of my questions, which is you know essentially you know how are how are people's jobs changing because of these implementations and and how how do they affect you know other systems of work and and I think that they do it seems to me that when I talk to you know risk practitioners in the, in this arena that they are finding that the lessons they learn from implementing any new standard or rec- uh, regulation or having to ramp up for a new technology really give them a skill set that that works across 
areas of focus. Am I am I re- hearing that from you as well? Clearly, is that am I understanding that correctly from you? Um, and and if so, you know, do you think that there's anything we've learned from the implementation and planning of IFRS nine or or any of these other standards that you know has specifically helps teams that are not necessarily tasked immediately with implementing them? I agree with your observation. In fact, um, you're right. You know, uh, for a lot of people, having to implement and learn new things arising from all these changes actually acquires them new knowledge and new skill set, which is transferable. So it's not just like you know when you're doing the IFRS nine uh, implementation and you learn all about IFRS nine and that's it. Once IFRS nine is over, you know you, the, the knowledge is no longer relevant. It's the skill set that um, you learn in, for instance, cooperating and cooperating with other departments, learning about new things. Like for instance, you are finance person, and suddenly you get exposed to all the credit knowledge. All this comes in useful, and and these are transferable skills that. Going forward, especially, which I believe that cross-functional team is the way to go, it will actually equip you with the skill set to to function more efficiently. So for other teams that have not gone through this regulatory process, from the outside, when a person look at it, it may be a little bit overwhelmed at first to say that, you know, there's so many new areas that I need to learn. There's so many new areas that I need to adapt. But it's actually good. It's actually a good adaptation because it opens up your it opens up your your knowledge. It actually acquires allows you to acquire new skill set. And your I would say that from my perspective, it's your job is changing for the better because you're learning more things. You're being more agile. You are in fact um, contributing in a different way. Not not just by you know processing certain things, but more of like contributing to a b- bigger goal than just getting the report right, for, for instance. That's, that's how I look at it. And I think that that's what, what I'm hearing from um, people in other areas yeah. as well. Vikas, did you have something to add? Yeah, yeah sure, sure. I'd like to add to that. Uh, I think it goes beyond also uh, the, the team skills and expertise that you've built. Now, if you look at it from a bank point of view, and if I'm sitting in a bank and taking decisions about investing my budget uh, across uh, various projects, I would say that IFRS 9 and other uh, transformational regulatory changes uh, allowed me to upgrade IT infrastructure, set up data governance, and, and, and train my people to run the new process. So I would then like to make sure that the investment I have made in these processes would be useful for the other initiatives in the future. So for example, the same sources that are being used for obtaining data for IFRS 9 could also be leveraged for CCAR or, or other reg reporting processes. The same teams that have worked on IFRS 9, they could then be used to build other credit models and run other credit models. And I think one of the important elements is that the firms themselves gain an immense knowledge uh, and significant knowledge about their own data and risk profile that is quite valuable in the long term, especially in improving the credit decision-making process or any other management process through which firms make decisions. Uh, you, you both are very articulately stating this, and I, and I really, truly appreciate it. Um, just a couple more things I want to ask before we wrap up. As you are based in Singapore, and we've heard a lot, our, our listeners have heard a lot, and I've had a lot of contact with people who are based in North America and EMEA, do you find that there are any challenges that you're dealing with in, in Singapore that 
that come across uh, regulatory or technology changes that are occurring in North America. Um, you know, particularly a really good example of this would be Cecil ver- versus IFRS 9. You know, that when you're dealing a cor- with a multinational corporation, they may fall under various jurisdictions and have to comply with both. Are you, are you guys finding any challenges along those lines or are, are you finding that these processes are, are robust, robust enough to be applicable to, you know, what, whatever challenge comes down the pike? Look, fundamentally, if you just take the example of CCL and IFRS 9, they're based on the same set of principles. Now, there are definitely differences in the way you measure expected uh, credit losses. However, uh, if you talk about any regulations, the regulatory changes are generally, since they're based on the same principles, you could essentially leverage the same knowledge and infrastructure. And what we are seeing in, in some of our clients as the large financial institutions, they have started to build strong centralized regulatory compliance functions that are able to manage uh, and, and report on this change. I mean, certainly there are challenges because you have to, again, ensure that the people in these functions are adequately trained, you hire the right talent, you retain them. But However, this knowledge is essential to understanding the cross-border differences across the regulations. Now, having said that, I'd like to mention one thing, though, that the technology has started to show quite a bit of promise in managing, in especially identifying this change, and then assigning the, the, these changes to the right parties who would then have to uh, address the regulatory change, be it IFRS 9 or any other regulatory change for that matter. I'm not sure that I answered your question, Delisa. Uh, no, you did, and I think that's a really good bo- point about the technology, and I think that's part of the hope of it is that, you know, that it will uh, allow for efficiencies. Um, Ivy, did you want to comment on that, on, on, on sort of, you know, the, the, the different regulations that come from, you know, different parts of a firm? Um, yeah, I, I mean, yes, um, for, for, for my banking clients, especially the big MNC banks, yes, they do have the challenge of uh, having to manage all the different accounting standards and different regulations from different regions. Even um, let's talk about ASEAN itself. It's like there's all the local standards versus the international standards and, and so on and so forth. What I'm seeing is also, as per mentioned by because I a lot of them, they use technology to try and streamline as much as possible their well, basic operations between the home country and the foreign operations. And in addition, what I've seen them doing is they actually use what uh, term as the local subject matter experts who are familiar with the nuances of the um, local regulation and they are the ones who actually will then drive and uh, manage the differences in terms of the requirements most of the times is in in the end end user reporting as as they put it so um, this is how I, I see a lot of the big multinational firms dealing with the uh, differences in terms of all the uh, regulations that's coming out at different regions. Definitely, thank you, thank you both for that. Um, and and I think that that's a, a really interesting point about you know using your sort of on the ground expertise um, to connect you know to the larger whole. Um, as well as technology. Um, is there anything else? Um, I want to give you both an opportunity. If there's anything you want to share with um, our listeners, you know, we we really appreciate any insight and and you know certainly the 
the perspective that you've shared today. Um, is there anything else that you would like our audience to um, know from your vantage point that you think is important for them to understand about this arena? Um, let's start with Vikas. I think uh, just uh, so as, as, I, as I mentioned in a couple of answers earlier, I think uh, technology is definitely showing a lot of promise in automating the processes, in also allowing us to build uh, new uh, credit risk models. I think one of the challenges uh, remains that you need to then think about how this will impact the controls and the governance. For example, the regulators have started to put forward their views about the use of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning in, in credit decision or any, and in particular, uh, decision-making process. So in such a case, uh, it, it, how these principles will evolve, how these views will evolve would have certainly an impact on what decisions we make in the credit risk modeling world. And I think going forward, uh, as, as, we, as this technology evolves, we will definitely find new opportunities to build and, and implement models in new ways. And then we will definitely find an ex uh, to, to ways to address the explainability and, and less transparency that we have today in some of the new techniques and how those outcomes relate to the input data. Thank you. Thank you very much because, um, Ivy, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, sure. Uh, for me, credit risk modeling um, is, is a tool, just like any other tool that helps to um, give one the, um, the advantage to do your job better. But end of the day, um, what is important is the data because I think um, for everyone knows that what we, we have this saying to say garbage in and garbage out. So a lot of times it's data um, that goes into any modeling tool. Um, you have to understand, you have to trust it. So therefore, things like governance is it, it, critical. You need to be sure what you put into any system, be it using technology, be it using any modeling techniques um, that you can trust so that the results then will be will be meaningful for you. And um, that is the message that I like to um, tell, I, I like to give to the listeners that um, when you're using any tool, please remember that the tool is only as good as what you have inputted into the system. That's very well put. Thank you both. Um, I thank you both very much for your time today. I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much for your time and appreciate the opportunity of, of speaking on these topics. Uh, thank you and uh, have a good day. Uh, actually, it's a good evening <laughs> too. Yes, indeed. And thank you for joining us on the new age of risk analytics. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be notified of future episodes and visit sas.com slash risk for information on these and other risk topics.